Welcome to Technovation, a weekly conversation with people who are shaping the technology landscape. I'm Peter High, president of Meta Strategy, advisor to technology executives, Forbes columnist, book author, and your host. Each episode of Technovation features insights from top executives and thought leaders at the intersection of business, technology, and innovation. If you like what you hear, we'd be grateful if you give us a rating on iTunes or through whatever other source you use for podcasts. And please subscribe so you don't miss a thing. Thank you. My guest today is Shardul Shah. Shardul is a partner at Index Ventures, a global venture capital firm with dual headquarters in London and San Francisco. Founded in Europe in 1996, Index Ventures invests in startups across seed, venture, and growth stages. Shardul joined Index in 2008 and is focused on investing in security, data, and business application-focused companies. He was previously an associate at Summit and Partners. In this interview, we discuss Shardul's thoughts on how the current pandemic has accelerated a tech-enabled shift to an employee-focused culture rather than a customer-focused one. We also discuss how a younger workforce deals with unprecedented economic shock and how investment decisions and collaboration have been impacted by virtual communication. We also cover his investment philosophy and how it's tied to empathy and community, the story of the least successful investment he's ever made, and a variety of other topics. Before we get to our interview, I wanted to introduce you to our sponsor, Zoho, and the company's president, Timothy Casby. Prior to taking on his current role, he was the chief information officer of a number of companies, including Reliance Industries, Sears, Intrexon, and the Warehouse Group. He's now at Zoho, a most unusual enterprise software company, and wanted to share some perspectives from it. Timothy, take it away. Of over 100 apps Zoho has in the market, Zoho Sign is my favorite. Our product to execute paperless electronic signatures. I don't know about you, Peter, but I seem to sign a lot of documents. Banks, tax, recruitment, vendor-related documents seem to require signatures every single day. During the pandemic, hundreds of thousands of users globally have conducted their business of signing millions of documents electronically using Zoho Sign. Also, we are GDPR and CCPA compliant. Our sign does integrate with dozens of popular systems, both inside and outside Zoho. And as usual, we fulfill the promise of the cloud of bringing to market affordable technology for all. You will find Zoho sign to be at least 50% less expensive than our nearest competitor. And that can make a dent in your budget. Try Zoho sign at zoho.com slash sign. Thanks, Timothy. And now on to the interview. Ardul Shah, welcome to Technovation. Great to speak with you. Peter, always a pleasure to spend time with you too. And I know you've had some legitimate thought leaders on this program, like Mickey Budai, Atticus at Intuit, and of course, my partner, Mike Volpe. So I'm genuinely grateful that you invited me along. Oh, my, my pleasure. And, and you certainly are, are uh, very much an appropriate uh, member of this club, so to say. In fact, uh, as, as a means of, of sharing your bona fides, I wanted to congratulate you on making the Forbes Midas list uh, just out last week, as at least as of the time of the, this recording. Yes, I will flip you the $20 bill after this program. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, I, it was all my doing. That's exactly right. It was not, it was not the fact that you, you were the uh, lead investor in the Series A for for Datadog, who went uh, went public this past year, or great, uh, great exits uh, with Duo Security or Base in, in 2018, it was uh, it was just it was, it was all my recommendation. The power of Peter. <laughs> well, sure, I thought we might begin, if you don't mind. Um, that you know, obviously, as we're recording this, we're in the throes of the pandemic, and I wonder if you could take a moment and sort of reflect on now a number of weeks into this. 
your own perspectives on what is changing. And I'd especially be interested in your thoughts on what some of the indelible marks are, even after when we get back to some modicum of normalcy. Um, what changes have happened that you think are going to continue as a result of the new experiences that we had uh, personally special? Sure. Um, if, if I take a further step back, Peter, um, in the context of enterprise technology, I think there's been far more humanity at play in the last three to five years um, than we've ever seen before. And, and I actually think um, a, a moment like the one we're in right now um, doesn't call for panic, but recognition that there's an opportunity to bring even more humanity uh, to bear and you know the how we work with people and, and how we work with technology. Um, you, you know, at, at one point, there was, I think, a dogma uh, that the law was that the customer is always right. Um, and the origin story, I, I'm, I'm curious if you're familiar with it, um, was at an interesting time where retailers were trying to think about how to really interact with their customers, uh, female shoppers. And by thinking about customer satisfaction and putting customers up front, um, organizations like Sears were able to take a, a really different view on, on how to build their business. Um, I, I think, unfortunately, it's an, it's an old dogma. Um, and, and the new dogma that I think many category-leading companies will be explicit about going forward is that the employee is always right. And I think in the context of employee experience, this moment um, really tells us a lot. Um, there, there are people who have many different circumstances, um, whether they're uh, single, alone in an apartment, or have families with young kids, um, or, or have vulnerable, um, vulnerable folks living with them. Um, th there's a lot more compassion, I think, in understanding people's circumstances, um, which, which is actually speaking to not just the future of work, but like the, literally the physics, the law of physics of business. Um, and so I think one thing that will, if I had a crystal ball, will change is how space and time in the context of business adapt. I think people will, you know, work from different places at different times. And as a consequence, their expectations as employees will adapt. And leaders, business leaders will have to find approaches to satisfy those desires. And if we get it right as a, as a society, if we make employees have better experiences, I'm actually convinced the output will be better customer experiences. And, and as an investor who focuses his attention on enterprise technology, talk a bit about the technologies that will further enable this. Obviously, we're using one right now um, in this recording, uh, but, but what are some other examples that are going to rise in importance as a result of this change in the, in the, uh, the physics of business, as you put it? Yeah, I think, look, enterprise technology is going to serve the most basic needs of employees. And I, and I think most employees want uh, three things. Uh, they want to make decisions, they want to constantly learn, and they want to have fun. Um, I think to your point, uh, collaborative technologies, uh, products like Zoom, right, um, or Slack, allow people to work more closely together. They allow us to have some amount of connection, whether that's uh, through eye contact or emoticons that fulfill this basic need of, of having fun and being social. 
I think there are many products um, like Dropbox uh, that have bottoms-up adoption, right, that allow people to make technology decisions that I think is really critical in, in uh, keep, keeping people excited. I think probably the area that I'm most excited about that hasn't been described as much is technology that's multidisciplinary. Um, so I think that in the future, employees will want to work not only within their own teams, but they'll want to work across departments. Um, organizations will have sales, support, marketing, finance, product engineering, all working in a coordinated way to deliver a phenomenal experience for employees and customers. And in doing so, employees actually have a shot at learning a lot from other disciplines. And so I think if enterprise continues to focus on the most basic needs of their employees and allow them to make decisions, constantly learn, have fun, they'll develop great businesses and products. And as investors, we'll be able to find great opportunities and products that play into those needs. Talk, talk a bit about your own sort of investment uh, philosophy. How do you inform your decisions as to whether to invest or not? Yeah, I, I would guess it's not too dissimilar, uh, Peter, from how you approach your business. I'd be curious, like, how do you actually think about who, from whom to listen and, and learn from as you kind of synthesize what you think will be the most um, critical technologies, products, and practices going forward? Yeah, so I mean, in my case, a lot of it is informed by my broader network. Um, so the advantage I have, and you have certainly as well, is a, is a pretty big network of people who can offer me relevant details on decisions like those that I might make, a technology that we're thinking about investing in, um, a trend that may be rising or, or falling as the case may be. And so testing those hypotheses with people who, and hopefully some sort of statistically significant number of people to validate um, the hypotheses or, or not as the case may be is, is a, uh, I think, an important approach that we use. And so, you know, as we think about using a new technology or, or replacing a, a technology, getting that validation from others who, just to, just to understand how they're thinking through the same thing, at least get, it gives us more information and arms us to, with better information to make our own decisions. Yeah, I think um, it, it isn't too dissimilar for us. Uh, I mean, I've always been impressed, uh, Peter, with your, your sense of empathy. Uh, it's something I, I really admire. Um, when when we think about um, the folks that we interact with, we, we use a different word, um, but I think it has it holds the same meaning for you. We think about um, our community. Um, so we think about the the nature of the relationships we have with subject matter experts um, in order to understand what their biases may be, such that when they give us a perspective on a trend or a theme or a product or technology, we can weight that input in order to form our own perspective. And as you know, right, there's no shortcuts in building relationships and really bonding with people. Um, but it's, it's something that we do a little differently than, than other firms. You know, other firms will kind of extensively use third-party services to perform due diligence and collect feedback from really talented people and, and high volumes of people. But we think it's important to really synthesize that perspective by understanding who is telling us what. Hmm. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and, and as you as you think about one of the things I was also curious about, I, I was reflecting on this as someone who runs a runs a, an organization where that 
you know, skews somewhat young. Basically, if you were 34 or less, you've never been through a, a, an economic correction before professionally. And, and as this was the longest bull market in the history of the U.S., it's like you, one could argue the largest set of population who never has. And so there's sort of an education that is necessary as to what are game plans like during this scenario after a, this long period where the uninitiated might be led to believe that, you know, it's constantly going to be uh, up and to the right. And I'd be curious, in, in a field, uh, venture capital, and specifically your firm that, that tends to invest in younger people, not exclusively, of course, but I'm, I have to imagine a good portion of the entrepreneurs you invest in are, are 34 or less. Um, how do you how do you think about arming them with information uh, or or experiences or insights? Better put, um, to equip them to make it through and, and plan for this period that's unlike anything they've seen before. One the the amount of economic stimulus. Uh, you know, the date of this recording, there's been about four trillion dollars injected into the U.S. economy. Uh, we've seen that kind of degree of stimulus twice in the last 12 years and twice in the last hundred. <laughs> so there, I, I think for the vast majority of us who are, who are at work, um, these are unprecedented times. Um, and, and so I, I'm uh, probably a little bit more, more, I, I probably take a different view in drawing a line at 34. Um, second, we, um, and, and this might be a projection of how we see ourselves, but we really value having a beginner's mind. Um, so personally, um, I've been a career investor. Um, I, I don't have any expertise myself. I, I rely on experts that you've had, you know, on this program, like Cynthia from Adobe or, or Sri Lakshmi from Align, right, who you introduced us to. And these are phenomenally talented individuals. Um, I, I think of a beginner's mind as um, some amount of freedom. I, I'm unencumbered. I don't have scar tissue. You know, I, I don't have, you know, these instincts that attempt to protect me or that, de that debilitate some of my movement. And so often when we do invest in younger founders, um, um, they're bold, uh, they're courageous, they're fearless, uh, they're perseverant. They have a problem that they have complete belief and faith that they can address and solve. And uh, it's intoxicating. It's, it's what makes, you know, our, our work really fun, um, but can make it uh, make us very successful uh, as, as well. So I, I probably don't approach kind of, um, you know, this time, this moment in time differently as an investor looking for entrepreneurs who can, you know, bob and weave, um, uh, because I think there's so much that's unprecedented and unknown. Rather, we look for people who have deep commitment and passion to, to solve real problems. And how do you, um, during times like this, what sort of, how, how is the shape, the extent to which you can share, at least even uh, generically, some of the conversations you're having with the companies that you've invested in? How are, how, is, how are those conversations different today than they would have been in early February, for instance, uh, with some, some different uh, sets of circumstances or different, a different outlook for them, at least in the you know, near and medium term? Yeah, um, we, we are going to be working with a 19-year-old Irish founder. And uh, the, uh, when we signed the uh, term sheet, right, the legal document that um, describes everything we're going to be doing together, uh, 
we had a virtual whiskey, uh, which which was a first for me. Usually those are in person. Um, you know, one of the one of the unique attributes of Index is we've always been distributed um, as an organization across um, Geneva, London, and San Francisco. And so internally, we've adapted a lot of processes and uh, communication styles to uh, work across media. Uh, we've always recognized that conflict resolution is very different in person versus over a video conference. Um, and we've always appreciated that when nine people kind of show up as small small rectangles on Zoom, uh, there's a very different power dynamic versus when you have eight people in one room and one in the other. And so in, in this moment where many more conversations are not in person, uh, we actually feel really well equipped to adapt uh, because we can communicate who we are, we can read body language, we can build rapport over this media in a, in a way that's built out of experience because we've had to do it internally for so long that um, many other firms don't have. And as a consequence, we've been really, really active um, in, in, uh, in our business. Um, and uh, we're fortunate to have great support from our limited partners in announcing some large funds a, a few months ago. I mentioned at the outset some some recent successes uh, in the past couple of years. Datadog's public offering, uh, you invested in that company when it was valued at $17 million. I believe it's roughly $10 billion in market cap now. Um, others that have been acquired by, by major organizations, Duo Security by Cisco, uh, based by Zendesk, uh, both in 2018. Talk a little bit about the journey from identifying these companies when they are more or less an idea um, and that evolution um, to, to such grand success. I'd be interested in understanding your own perspectives of, of you know, the role that you play in shepherding a portion of that as well. Yeah, you know, uh, Peter, I, I think success has many fathers. And if, uh, if folks are really, I should say fathers and mothers, if, if folks are really curious about um, appreciating my contribution, I'd encourage them to, to uh, find a way to talk to any executive at Datadog, Duo, Avalon, Lacoon, or any of the other companies that I, that I work with. Um, it, it, the spirit of your question, though, is, is really in, in kind of understanding the role that we often play in, in uh, investment opportunities. So I thought I might try something different. I, I thought I'd share with you um, my role in the least successful investment I've ever made. Wow, um, very good. I like that. <laughs> so uh, we, we were talking about kind of um, expert networks. Um, one, one of the networks, uh, how I got to know Mickey, for example, one of the networks that I've been responsible at Index Building is, Mickey is from Transfer Security. Security. Sorry, just for context. Yeah, um, Mickey Budai, who's who's a, a phenom. Um, he he. Um, um, so we we've built a, a network and community of practitioners in security who've helped us understand uh, how unique and valuable the perspective of folks like Mickey uh, actually are. And what struck me was that a number of practitioners uh, from different industries and, and uh, different places in the world would tell me that they, there was an emerging area um, of vulnerability where they would all use manual processes to automate response to. And I came across an entrepreneur um, and we started just completing each other's sentences about solving this vulnerability. About a month later, I, I ended up leading the Series A investment. Um, 
took took a board role um, and got you know rolled up our sleeves and got really involved. We ended up moving the company um, from um, one place to San Francisco. Um, we introduced relevant practitioners and customers who have this pain. Uh, we helped build out the leadership team uh, by recruiting executives, convincing them of the opportunity, and helping with some of the details. And along the way, it, it turned out that the market timing for this business was absolutely perfect. And it's one of the hardest things to get right as an investor. You know, you can bet on the right tech, you can bet on the right team, but uh, it's so hard to actually time the market. And so here we were, like fired up that we had the right problem, the right, the right market. Um, and the mistake we made was that we tried to do too much. The company tried to sell to the federal government. The, tried, the, the company tried to sell to small businesses. The company tried to sell to big companies in Europe, in the United States, in Asia. Um, and all of this complexity was just crippling uh, to a small company with relatively little resource. So fast forward, the company is weeks away from going out of business. And you know, in moments like those, there's obvious tension. You know, between the teammates, with the creditors, uh, with board members. So we stepped up and, and financed uh, the business. We gave them a bridge loan. Um, and we actually were really involved in engineering and acquisition, which ended up enabling lots of folks to preserve their livelihoods um, and, and a few folks to make some good money. Uh, we ended up netting something like 97 cents on the dollar. And, and despite that outcome being like equivalent to a strikeout in my business, I think the combination of doing the right thing for the team, um, intermediating different and different perspectives and difficult conversations amongst an organization is absolutely the right thing to do. I like that. I, and I, one of the things I've always admired about your philosophy, uh, Shardul, and your firms more generally speaking is is uh, this, in fact, actually, I, I recently had a conversation with um, Laszlo Bach from Humu, who was speaking glowingly of his relationship with Index and the fact that it is a, a people-first culture, um, you know, hearkening back to some of your earlier comments at the beginning of this conversation, that as an entrepreneur, um, it, it, uh, Index is unusual in its, um, its sort of culture and people-centricity. Uh, so it speaks volumes there, that story. Yeah, it's usually better and easier to convey over video than audio, but we'll give it a go here, Peter. <laughs> That's really great. Um, I wanted to um, also ask you, so security is a, uh, it's come up a couple times for obvious reasons among them that it's an area in which you you uh, you have invested and it's an area in which you have, have uh, um, some expertise it's also an area that is, if anything, becoming more important during this, this crisis as, you know, as uh, people scatter to their homes and the threat landscape thus uh, expands as a result of that. We're seeing a lot of creative attempts for, for hacks and some successful hacks as well. Um, and I wonder if you could take a moment and just um, talk a bit about your perspectives uh, about what's changing, what you're, what you're excited about in terms of, you know, where you're investing or or what you're investigating within the security space at the moment. Yeah, um, so a couple thoughts here. First, um, there's some good news. Um, there are 
um, great businesses that have risk engines that try to determine when people are trying to steal, you know, your account or my account, uh, Peter. And it turns out when you're spending a lot more time in one place at home, it's far easier to determine when someone's trying to log into your account from a different place. So I actually think there are real positives um, that should assure us that this change in work environment um, is improving our, our safety and security. Um, I, I, I definitely appreciate that there's a lot of fear, uncertainty, and doubt. And whenever there's a, a moment of concern, you get lots of people who want to make noise around um, that concept. Personally, I find it to be extremely unhealthy. Um, th there is kind of legitimate reason for businesses and enterprise to be thinking about corporate security, network security, and identity. Um, and, you know, I had a great conversation um, a few weeks ago with Adrian Ludwig, who's the, the chief security officer of Atlassian, and, and Dave uh, Merkel, who's the CEO and founder of Expel. Um, who, who, to their credit, shared some practical tips uh, that, I, that, I would, that I would offer, um, which is, you know, get back to the basics. So single sign-on, multi-factor authentication, backups, trusting Google to create passwords and not trusting yourself to uh, enter your mother's maiden name, um, using password protect on things like Zoom, um, buying uh, modern endpoints like Chromebooks and Mac MacBooks, these are all very basic steps that any organization can take to step up their security in, in a meaningful way. And so as, as an investor, of course, uh, I have the, the pleasure of seeking new investment opportunities. Um, in spending time with practitioners like Adrian and, and Merck, I, I tend to be biased towards pragmatism. And, and so I really look for um, security products that again, meet this human need and can allow many people to interact and use um, security in a meaningful way, um, rather than looking for kind of whack-a-mole new threats, uh, which, which can be really interesting from an intellectual perspective to understand kind of the psychology of different adversaries and, and what they're attempting to do and trying to you know, build a mousetrap to thwart them. But, but I think misses the point of what enterprises and, and our society needs. Yeah, very interesting. I wanted to also ask you, uh, Shardul, here at the, here at the close, um, you've already mentioned a few different chief information, officer, chief information officers who are among our common friends. Talk a bit about, um, you know, especially I think for, for those who might be listening who are less familiar uh, with the symbiosis between VC and the chief information officer community, Talk about it from your own perspective as to the value you believe, um, the bidirectional value you get by, by increasing the um, collaborations between the venture space, especially with enterprise investors and the CIO community. Yeah, um, to start, I'll, I'll share one thing we don't do, right, um, which, which you've heard me say before. We, we don't speed date, right? We, we don't think there's a lot of um, gain or pleasure from um, short introductions, um, transactional type communication. And so I, I do think there's a population of entrepreneurs, there's a population of CIOs, and there's a population of, of investors 
who all would disagree with that statement. But personally, I, I, I don't think um, it's meaningful to um, try to just make connections transactionally. Um, for, for the um, C-level executives that we've gotten to know, um, and my colleague Jacob, who, who you know super well, Peter, uh, Jacob Jacob Jaffe. Jaffe, um, he, he's done, a, uh, he's done a, a great job of um, helping us analyze and appreciate this. Um, only half of the introductions we make to um, um, C-levels are to companies in our existing index portfolio, which is to say we actually, from an index perspective, we believe the, the C-level executive is our customer. Um, we don't think uh, of the founder actually as our customer. We want to find out what people need, what they want, and why. And if the solution is within, you know, it, it just so happens to be in a company that we've invested in, that's great. If not, that's also great. Like we, we want to help our friends solve the problem. I think from my best guess from a, a, a CIO's perspective is that's, that can come across as pretty authentic and um, resembles the types of relationships that they care about and foster. And if we can deliver on that commitment, which is a, it, it, that's a high bar and high standard, but if we can deliver on that, we get to you know, earn someone's trust over time. And occasionally um, they'll help us uh, by making introductions or pointing out things that they see really uniquely. Um, and again, we'll along the way be able to understand what their biases are so that we can you know, weight, weight that input. And so I think it can be really beneficial to have this relationship, um, um, but it can take different forms. And, and obviously we have a point of view on, on how we want to develop our relationships. Yeah. Uh, last question for you, Shardul. Are there, as you, as you look to the future, um, any trends or, or technologies that are particularly exciting you as you, uh, as you continue to inform yourself as to where to invest and where there are growth opportunities? What are some things you might call out? Yeah, I think um, the two most obvious ones are probably the cloud for enterprises. I think it's just getting started. Um, also, multiplayer video, uh, which I think is going to be a platform um, and, and can foster new networks. Um, the, the theme I point you to that might be a little bit under the radar is around front-end development. So historically, um, I think most people have viewed the, the most talented computer scientists as working on backend services. Think of these as like chips and networks and uh, uh, compute. Um, uh, it turns out like today, uh, people can connect across the world instantaneously. Like it's, it's amazing <laughs> what the, the internet has become. And it's, it's on the back of a number of abstractions such that the best products and services in the world today depend on phenomenal digital experiences, right? And, and I, I do want to ask you a question related in a moment. But, but I think it speaks to the opportunity for front-end developers um, who have been disregarded in the past to participate in value creation in a really different way by delivering on the promise of human experiences for, for consumers. And so Facebook has been, I think, at the forefront of de delivering a great uh, experience to, to users. 
among many, they, they invented two critical technologies. One is called React, the other is called GraphQL. And I think there will be sizable economies and multiple opportunities that are built against those two technologies in, in this context of front-end development. Very interesting. No, I appreciate you offering that. You said there was a question you wanted to pose. So you've kind of been so forward on uh, digital transformation um, and helping uh, different executives think about um, how they can become champions of digital transformation and thereby affect business outcomes in in a range of different industries. I'm curious how you think about um, moments like this in in, um, driving change in the context of digital transformation. Yeah. Well, I mean, one of the great one of the really uh, wonderful, the, the silver linings of this crisis has been the extent to which great technology leaders, digital information technology leaders, are um, the work that they've done in the, in the past half decade, in some cases, if they were really um, progressive the past decade, in order to ensure resilience in their operations, to variableize their cost structures, to... Uh, take care of all the basics such that they can get much more involved in the innovation side of the house, um, such that we see so many now, so many organizations that refer to themselves as, you know, a digital or a technology company in the fill in the blank industry. Um, and I think, you know, CIO CDOs have deserve a lot of credit for that. In addition to actually the, the tremendous amount of resilience we're seeing in businesses during this time of crisis. If you compare this to 2008, for example, um, which was a very different crisis, of course. People were still going, those who had kept their jobs kept going into offices at that time. Uh, you know, IT budgets were being hacked away, like others as well, um, with, a, with a machete in, oftentimes. And those that are cutting budgets now, I think, are doing so with a scalpel, recognizing just how important and how strategic this all is. Um, I think the other side of it is, of course, there's this there's this duality, this bifurcation between those businesses. Of course, there are some that are digital businesses full stop, um, and that's advantageous relative to those that are exclusively in-person you know, commercial enterprises of one sort or another. But those who've developed, who have advanced, helped advance the cause such that there's greater degrees of digital business done, greater degrees of, of e-commerce done, um, they are the ones that are now enabling these companies to lean on that side of their business, even as uh, some of the traditional ways in which they've earned revenue may be drying up to some extent. And thankfully, I think they're now seeing a lot more credit uh, as to the, again, the progressiveness of, of that outlook. I like to think that there's going to be a number of CIOs uh, on the back end of this. We're already seeing pre-crisis a lot of a lot more CIOs who've advanced to grander roles, taking over product, becoming operations officers, even becoming CEOs, and I think and and, and gaining board access to a greater extent. I, I really feel like that's going to it's a crisis like this that will um, you know multiply that effect as people recognize the value that's been you know driven and derived by the great work of of uh, technology and digital executives. What, what do you well think? Said. No, I I, I um. I'm hopeful that, uh, to your point, this can um, allow people to become even more successful. Um, and, and I think the, the role of the CIO is becoming much more tightly aligned uh, with employee experience, which, mm-hmm. uh, as we've talked about, 
at length is paramount to becoming the best business in any given vertical. And so I, I think it's um, uh, it, it's natural that it's a it's a great springboard into even more strategic roles and opportunities. Yeah, I've, I've, I I used to say, I, I, thankfully, I don't have to say it as much as I once did, but especially you know, a half decade or decade ago, if you asked the average chief information officer who his or her client was, they would often say their client is their, their colleagues, which was this declaration of distance between um, what they did and ultimately how the organization created value, how it, how it earned its revenue. And on the one hand, there's a nice aspect of that, which is tied perhaps to, you know, in some ways to what you've described in terms of the CIO's ability to impact employee engagement, employee experience, these sorts of things. I think the extent to which they've also gotten much more enmeshed in the um, in customer experience and hopefully like thinking about the interplay between those two employee and customer experience, um, they become so much more strategic because, you know, they are one of the most, um, you know, the rare organization, you know, the CFO and the CHRO are in some cases, you know, also uh, executives in addition, of course, to the CEO who see the entire operation um, where CIOs have been left out of the, you know, of the really strategic conversations has been there that that distance uh, to the actual customer where, where business is done. And those that have bridged that gap really are, you know, now we'll have, I think, a world of opportunities that that one could have only dreamed of a decade ago for this role. <laughs> Excellent. Well, Shardul Shah, thank you so much. As always, a great conversation. Great to get your perspectives. Thank you for for taking time out of your busy schedule to uh, to speak with me today. It's, uh, it's it's as always a pleasure. My pleasure, Peter. See you soon. Thanks for tuning in. Please join me on Monday when my guest will be Bill Miller, the Chief Information Officer of NetApp.